here with another edition of the Valhalla Movement Podcast, and this week there is a lot going on, um, and we have a, a great guest, a great guest who's written a book recently that has come out. Uh, I'm going to tell you all about that in just 10 seconds, but I do want to tell you guys about something we've been working on silently and secretly, but although for the, those of you who listen to the podcast, you have heard over time about this, this development of this thing, and uh, we like to call it Green Seed. Uh, it's the, the running name. Greenseed.me is uh, where you can sign up to learn more about it when it does launch. But Greenseed is going to be a crowdsourcing platform. It's basically going to be the Kickstarter slash Craigslist slash kind of place or Thunderclap, if you know what Thunderclap is. We're combining all of these different awesome resources into a crowdsourcing platform. And what that means is your projects or your movements can be funded by a project or via subscription base so that not only are they funded, but they're really sourced. You can get money, you can get volunteers, you can get people, you can get, you can get uh, social support, you can get resources like, like tools and, and, and wood and, and bricks or whatever you might need to make your sustainable initiative or social cause project launch off the ground. Now, really, you know, how I met our guest today, Adam Hames, who is the author of Stress-Free Sustainability, Leveraging, or sorry, Leverage Your Emotions, Avoid Burnout, and Influence Anyone, a brand new Kindle ebook. You guys can download it for free, at least for the moment, uh, on Kindle, on Amazon. You guys need to go get this. I've been, I've been kind of flowing through it. I haven't read the whole thing, but I'm getting to it. Uh, at least I'm honest, guys. <laughs> and uh, Adam Hayes is with me, and we actually spoke a lot about this in our conversations and how we've kind of met and how we've interacted has, has um, you know, also spoken a lot about how do we get projects like these, uh, you know, like the Valhalla Movement or even like a book to, to get funded, to, to come together. Because I know that Adam can say that his book required a team of people to kind of help him launch, to help him write, to help him edit, to, to help piece together all of this information. And all the things that he writes in the book are obviously things that he's learned over time. And so really, anything in the world that has ever existed or ever will exist is crowdsourced, in a sense, in a weird way. And so uh, thank you, Adam, for being a guest on the podcast. You're very welcome. And I'm excited for Green Seed too. You know, we're considering using it i will get to it in a little bit but i do a lot of different things wear a lot of different hats and mm. um, green seed itself fascinates me and we've got a project that if not this one that i'm sure one of our future projects is going to use your tools and we're excited for them to come out oh man i've been literally i wake up um on a regular basis because I, I work with some people who uh, are coding in india to help us on this uh, because they're, they're really just kind of, they have a bigger team and with bigger infrastructure and we, we cannot deal with the, the enormous amount of work that it takes to just do it in-house here at Valhalla. So we have somebody help us in India, a group of people really, and um, we're hiring them, we're paying them good salary and I wake up because they're many hours ahead, I have to wake up like at 
seven, eight in the morning to get on Skype calls to talk about them. And this morning was one of them. Uh, and I really believe it could be a game changer. But enough about Greenstein, enough about me. Please, to the people who are listening, the beautiful, beautiful people of this, you know, the Hala Movement podcast listeners who can, you know, like this podcast and more people hear it. <laughs> Tell them who you are. Tell them who... How did you become the man who you are? How did you become the author of this book? And 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 dive us into those many hats that you do wear when it comes to sustainability in your life. Perfect. And we, we just talked recently about the you know international sustainability professionals conference I'm going to, and you're like, what is that? And mm. that's I guess what I am. I like to say I'm a hippie in a suit. Um, <laughs> I. I like corporate sustainability programs. I like helping companies change and work on their environmental and social performance. I like shifting and having them realize what a good investment it is, not only for their company, but for their people and for their communities and for the planet. Mm. Uh, and I got into, I mean, I'm a consultant today. My day job is I help companies with sustainability. Um, I came out of a specific role as a manager of sustainability for a very large company in Iowa um, and all over the Midwest and for the last three and a half years. And I left this January to be a consultant. Um, and one of the reasons I left is because I like community work. And I told the, the company Proximity that I'm with is that I want to be able to do community work as well. So not only am I working on sustainability strategy, but I'm working on large community initiatives. One of those um, is called A Garden for Every School. Mm. And that's the project that we're looking at possibly using Green Seed for. Um, and yeah, that's a great project. Tell me, tell me more about that. Yeah, so Garden for Every School, I just came. That's why I'm all decked out in my, my <laughs> business wear. Nice uh, just at a just a board meeting for Keep Iowa Beautiful. Um, in the shortest amount of time, I can say is that we we have spent almost a year researching and interviewing and investigating. You know, we know school gardens are really effing amazing. Yeah, <laughs> everyone loves them. The impacts are just like I could sit here all day talk about how amazing they are. In general, we saw why don't we have more of them? We have 26 school gardens in Greater Des Moines, where I'm from. And we have 300 schools. And so there's a huge gulf of schools that do and don't have gardens. And out of those 26, some of those gardens are really struggling. And so we wanted to find out why and what we could do about it. And now we've designed this whole program that is um, really modular, kind of like today's way that you digest information is short, sweet videos. Um, and it's a training program for not only teachers, but for the principal has to be involved, the, the school nutrition manager, the grounds crew, parents, teachers, students, they all take this really easy training that they all have to kind of come together and then put together a garden plan. And that garden plan doubles as a grant application. And that grant application has $1,000 tied to it. But we've wow. actually handpicked the schools and said, you have $1,000 for you, waiting for you. You just have to go through this program and then we'll help you on the application. And so the, the amazing thing about it is it's a one-time, we're going to raise $160,000. Over half of that, 87000 is just for 87 elementary schools. It goes directly to the school. The other portion is for the infrastructure to actually have those training videos housed on a curriculum site. Mm. So it's a, it's a one-stop shop for school teachers and curriculum and staff and everybody. 
And it's just, I mean, it's what we found out. There are all these barriers, and we solved them all in this one design program. And it's not perfect. It's going to still have some things that they have to work through. No doubt. But in general, it's the best designed program I've seen. And we're going to raise 160 grand crowdsource funding. Right now, we're in the pre-funding stage with a bunch of corporate sponsors trying to get a big chunk up front. Um, but I, but I honestly believe now that we have Keep Iowa Beautiful on board, um, that once it's successful here, they're going to be able to share it with every other Keep America Beautiful affiliate. Mm-hmm. And there's one, there's one in every state. Wow. And so now it'll be not just 87 elementary schools here, but anybody can use our training as a platform to do their own funding programs. Um, and technically, you wouldn't even have to have a grant on the back end. It's just really nice incentive. It does help. <laughs> um, but they'll never have to invest that money again in the training videos. That's mm. just going to be, at least for the next 10, 15 years, it's going to be a, an infrastructure that's available publicly for anybody who wants to use it. So wow. we're super excited about it. And it's gonna, uh, we're gonna kick off the pre funding here in like a day. We just, I came from the meeting where the nonprofit approved and said, yes, we're gonna be the, the main sponsor, not sponsor, but the but fiscal the, agent. The fiscal agent, so you guys can give out tax receipts based on donations that are coming in for that stuff. Yeah. That's amazing. I find your position in the eco world, if I might call it that, um, incredibly unique, which is that I, I almost, I feel like you're an enigma. I feel like there's like people, companies have sustainability officers or consultants like, oh my God, this exists, like this is happening now. I guess, I guess when all of this really started to kick off for me um, personally, I, I was just looking around and, and the only thing I was seeing was problems at that moment, right? And everywhere I was going, it was just like, man, here's another problem. Or I'm watching this documentary and here's another problem. And another problem, and another problem, and another problem. And I was just like, what the hell is, what, how are we going to do anything about this, right? Mm-hmm. And I guess part of it was, I've always thought, okay, well, part of it is going to be grassroots, right? We're going to, we have to take ownership of this. We have a personal responsibility to changing the world and creating the world we wish to, to live in, right? And, and, and we know it's possible in our hearts. And so, boom, hence Valhalla and a group of people coming together and all this stuff. But on the flip side of that, there are people like you who somehow um, through education, through dedication, through business backgrounds, through understanding of the corporate world in some way, shape or form or respect, you have now infiltrated these corporations and you're making stuff happen from the inside and not just the outside like what we're doing. And I find that incredibly, incredibly inspiring because I think there's a lot of listeners even who all write to us consistently like, I want to help, I want to be a part, how can I do something? And I'm like, well, what is going on in your town? Like, what company do you work for? What, what sustainability suggestions could you like, suggest to the, the company you work for? Or even for your own self, like, do you compost yet? Or do you do this? Or do you do that? Like, have you ever grown a garden? Have you uh, considered you know, attending any green event of any kind in your area? Like, that's what we want people to do more than anything. Okay, yes, we can, will we accept people coming and doing stuff? Sure, to some degree, but we, we're not, look, we can't house the world here. We need people like you to go out there and make these changes. And I want to know, I want to know the story. 
you told me the surface of of what happened here uh, or who you are right or i guess what you do but i want to know why you do it i want to know what how did this all like unfold like what triggered you caring about sustainability and you working in this field is this something you studied or is it something you basically fell as backwards into or something you know so tell me the story yeah and um the the book has more stories and most people have told me they're really personal stories so you know you'll get more if you read the book but i'll give you the gist because i came at it very much from the environmental side and i ended up in corporate sustainability um and now i kind of play both roles um, in my spare time I do community work but I grew up on a farm mm-hmm. in in rural Iowa um, very conservative Republican family and I was not um, not really excited when I found out how people felt about being an environmentalist because it wasn't <laughs> in, in my community it wasn't necessarily the uh, the cool thing to be mm-hmm. and so I, I spent a lot of my youth you know I've I wasn't very vocal. I was kind of like quiet and reserved because I didn't think it was very okay for me to be an environmentalist. But I grew up on a farm. We had horses. It wasn't like a livestock farm where it was slaughtering pigs or raising crops. And so I, I feel like my parents and my family gave me um, a very different land ethic that you just don't get if you're raising animals for food or crops for food. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very clear that there was a right way to treat animals, a wrong way to treat animals, a right way to treat the land, a wrong way to treat the land. Um, and I played outside constantly, and I, I ran around in the streams and the fence rows of rural Iowa. Um, and the first thing I remember really is they started plowing up and bulldozing in, you know, more and more of the places I love to play mm-hmm. as a, for for a few more rows of corn or a few more rows of beans. And it just really pissed me off as a kid. I was like, "That's those are my childhood memories. And I want my kids to be able to grow up and have those kind of memories. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing beautiful or exciting or adventurous about a bulldozed, you know, strip of dirt that used to be a, a stream. <laughs> yeah. And so that really bothered me. And then I got, into, you know, I went in, off to college and I had the freedom to do what I want and be who I wanted to be. And I, I kind of flipped full circle the other way and was kind of an arrogant ass to a lot of people and very loudly shared my opinion on things and it was very therapeutic you know for me to to get some things off my chest and mm-hmm. um but that was also not a very effective way <laughs> I found through time like to cause change and then I went out um, when I graduated I did a number of things but most of them were seasonal traveling work doing either environmental education leadership training or leading um, groups outdoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was definitely not in the corporate world, um, but I had a business minor, and I, I really wanted to run environmental ed programs, basically. And I saw a lot of them, in my opinion, not being run very effectively. And so I kind of decided, hey, I'm going to go back to get my MBA so I can manage things better, and I can manage these sustainability programs and like cause you know actually make a difference in the world, mm-hmm. and it was in, I I did do some of that, but in my MBA work I was introduced to a lot of really amazing companies that I had never heard of doing amazing work, or I had heard of them and didn't know they were doing sustainability work. They and in fact, for real, <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, and it wasn't that it was the only thing for me, but all of a sudden I was like, well, that's 
that's kind of the thing I want to focus on. If we can't change businesses, I was like you. I was like, what hope is there? If you know, it seems like a pretty amazingly large problem. That how is that ever going to get fixed? And I started seeing companies successfully taking on big sustainability problems, and I, I was like, well, shit. You know, if they can do that, there's hope. And so I, I moved back home to Iowa. I founded a nonprofit and I did grassroots work, mm-hmm. but I. I did a lot of business consulting and bringing in business speakers about things that had inspired me that I didn't I'm like, well, if I haven't heard of it, odds are nobody else has heard of it. And so we started building kind of some awareness and then I got hired at Come and Go, a convenience store chain in the Midwest and was their manager of sustainability for three and a half years. Um, all that time I kind of shifted over and did less community work because I used to do it 24 seven. And then I was doing, you know, at least eight hours a day of corporate work. Mm-hmm. I, I could also impact a lot of change. We had 400 plus stores in 11 states, and you know, if I could make a change in the company, I saw that ripple in a big way. And so I just started to really hone in on what I'm interested in is levers, and I'm an idealist by by heart and by trade, and I see the value today of kind of stepping back from my ideals and looking at where people are and helping them take the next step on their journey because it's really hard for someone to go from where they are to where I am because I'm such an idealist in a lot of ways. So I think that's kind of part of the premise of what your your book is saying, right? And it's kind of, at least from my understanding of what I've been reading and kind of flowing through a little bit, that's kind of what you're what you're what you're trying to hone in on, which is that we all know, let's say, that here, let's say right over on this side is the ideal place of where we want our world to be. But the truth is that we're right over here. And the only way to get there is that we're going to flow through the growing pains and the and the and all the shit and craziness that it's going to take to get there, okay? Yeah. And, and whether we get there or not is another story, but the idea is that we're trying to get here, and really here is probably a moving target as well, so that as we get closer, this gets further, and it's just this constant progression, okay? Whether we're going in the right direction or the wrong direction is not what I'm trying to point out here, okay? What I think is really interesting about your position, what I think is really interesting about you, Adam, is that you're the guy who rationally said, okay, I'm, I've done the grassroots thing, I understand it, I fully have these ideals, I still do, but I realize that companies are, are here, they, they could be here, and we could save them money. We can make them have less of the stress of what it would like. What you know, all this this thought about like whether is there going to be a carbon tax? Is there going to be this? Is it going to be that? Like figuring out all of this stuff could actually be pretty easy, and it actually could make a lot of really good business sense. Like this could be a big money saver for a, a large organization to just cut out using some I don't know plastic fork or something or some plastic little piece that all of a sudden they were handing out for some reason and then just a ripple of that one small chain uh, change like you said when you had 400 plus stores one key little thing can save thousands of trees right or thousands of, of streams or whatever like it, it could save all kinds of, of of you know what we would consider beautiful natural resources and so to me, the position where you're, where you're kind of been, you know, where you're, where you're doing your, your hard labor and your work and where you're earning your money and stuff is coming from a incredibly under-talked-about position. 
Like mm-hmm. nobody, I've every, I've had tons of guests on this podcast, and they all run some version of a website, and or some version of a, an activist or an eco eco community eco not we call them or whatever it is. Like they're all like these people trying to initiate change very much on the grassroots level. And don't get me wrong, some of them definitely influence corporations and stuff too. Um, but I'm actually personally very interested in going towards that corporate world now. And that to me is what Green Seed is and, and we're kind of kind of get there. It's like, how can we create real sustainability programs with, with nonprofits, whether you believe in them or not is another story, but how do we get more people talking about the issues for real? And then how do we get, and, in, and not just talking about it, engaging in it. And that to me seems like what your job is, right? You're getting companies to engage in the real life steps, not the leaps, but really the steps that it's going to take to make them move towards sustainability. And I think that, first of all, I have to applaud. <laughs> because that is, it, no, but it's true. It, 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 that is very, 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 very unique. But for somebody who listens to this and hears the word consultant, I know they're just like, well, what the fuck does that mean? Like, what the hell are we talking about here? Like, what is? what are you really consulting on? Like, what are you... What are some of the things that you're doing in a day-to-day basis? Like you wake up, so you have a client, and you you have to call them, or they have to call you, they email you, or whatever. And what are you doing physically and actively to help them do that? Because I think that if more people understood it, they would join you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll give you. I'm, it changes, but the the overall gist and the best way I can explain it is that um, you know, from a company standpoint, you know enemy of the state you know that will smith movie where we yeah. think we think corporations are genius like maniac geniuses who know everything and it's all calculated every, you know Will's every given too much credit and you'd be surprised like look at your own company you, there i'm not going to say that there aren't huge companies that have way more data than probably they know how to use in a responsible way mm-hmm. um, but when you get into sustainability companies are getting an onslaught of different groups telling them all the things they could be doing and should be doing and all the things they're doing wrong and they're not why they're not crazy geniuses they actually they're good at what they do and they only really know how to do that thing that their business is all about and if you get in there they they probably measure dollars really well mm-hmm. but i'm gonna bet you you know chances are they don't measure energy in kilowatt hours, mm-hmm. and they don't measure it in the right ways to actually be able to do anything about it. They don't measure water in gallons. They don't measure waste in tons, and they don't normalize that data so they can actually understand where the where the priorities should be and where should we put it, putting our focus. All they have is a, a line item that says waste costs this much money, <laughs> and they have, no, they have no idea what to do about it. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there are some companies that have learned that just like finance, if we would actually measure the right things, we could make good business decisions and save waste, save water, save energy. People would be happier with us and we would save money. And that's not all that sustainability is, but it has to be that at the beginning because companies do not know what sustainability is and what it means and what is relevant to their company versus some other company. They're gonna have to start with those baby steps and save a little money gain momentum, start feeling good about themselves and be like, hey, we should do more of this. It's kind of like you finally get somebody to try a sustainability initiative and then a hundred people jump on them and be like, that's not good enough. That's you're just greenwashing and blah blah blah. Yeah. And and, it, and, and, and I and I get that. 
I get the person <laughs> who says that because I've I've surely said it before in my past. I've been um, that person. Well, we I, all have. I, I think anybody who's in the in the eco world has been that person, and even is it nonetheless, even though they know better at times. Okay, um, it, it's totally normal. First of all, for anybody listening, if you feel that way, it's definitely happening. There is greenwashing. Okay, but yeah. there are honest companies trying to make an honest effort. And I think what you just, what you pointed out is again, very wise is most people know what their business is and how to do it. They know how they currently pay the bills, how they currently pay their employees. And they know line items. Like you said, they know what's going in and what's going out. And if I buy it at this price and I sell it at that price, I'll make this much money and I'll be able to pay this bill and that bill and that bill. And if, uh, you know, as long as Tom, Dick and Harry have an office, and uh, the secretary is happy and the, the this person's happy and that person's happy and everyone's happy and we've got insurance and we're paying the power bills. Everything's going to go okay. And they're not wrong from just that level of thinking. But you pointed something out that, that I actually hadn't really fully even, I, I don't think even grasped, which I think uh, you enlightened me just now, is companies are also, and I've always known this obviously, but companies are measuring things in the wrong numbers like they're using the wrong currency if you will or digits to to measure the the real inputs of what their business is and the real outputs and or waste elements of their business right mm -hmm. where they're losing what but off the top but they don't really realize and they just feel like oh that's the cost of business and that's because they're calling it a cost and not what it really could be which is you know, like you said, water in gallons or, or, or uh, energy in kilowatt hours or whatever it is, right? So those are the things that are also inputs to every single business pretty much uh, in the world and most corporate businesses. And those, so from my understanding, those are the things that you have to start changing and shifting, num priority number one, shifting the culture and getting those that data and information in front of their face. Is that true? It is true. And typically the best clients, and I'll back up for a second. I'll say I just answered the same question for a Drake University uh, law student group um, that I spoke to. And this uh, student, Heather, she's like, well, how do you know when to be rude and call it greenwashing or how to encourage somebody, even if you don't think it's that big of a step? And I just said, I mean, that's a great question. Everybody should struggle with that question if you're not struggling with it you're probably erring on the side of being an a-hole too much <laughs> it's like even if um the company doesn't look like they're doing a lot you have to put it in context of what have they done in the past if they're if they're at like the stage one and i i highly recommend uh, bob willard he writes really great books he's from canada and he talks about the stages that companies go through and it's pre-compliance where they just don't even care enough to comply with the law. Mm -hmm. The stage one is actual compliance. We're like, well, let's stop getting fined by the government. Let's save that money. And then next is eco-efficiency where they actually see like, wow, we could be more efficient with our resources and just save money. And then there's, they grow beyond that and they say, well, we could even create new innovative strategies now that we understand energy, water, and waste and maybe fuel and transportation, like whatever it is, they have to learn. And then their people actually are educated and they start to think of even more creative ideas. But it, it really has to snowball through those stages. And if you can step back and see where is this company at? Like, are they literally 
just on principle, they hate government and they they would rather pay fines and get sued by people than actually just comply with the law because there are companies out there that still do that. So you want to applaud them if they just decide to start complying with the law because at least they move forward. Like yeah. they've, they've improved. And then you have to find other companies. They might be Coca-Cola who's been doing sustainability for 20 years and they might come out with some big initiative and you're like, that's pretty weak. Like you're you're 25 years into this, yeah. and that's all that you can come up. With. Well, Coca Cola is an interesting. Sorry to cut you off there. I mentioned this literally. I said this yesterday. Um, we were talking about these Valhalla villas, these houses that we're developing with architects and engineers here, and um, people who f- sign up to GreenSea.me will know about them when it comes out. Um, anyway, long story short, I don't want to get into that, but I ended up saying, you know. Because uh, I got approached by a, a corporation and saying, hey, uh, would you be willing to let us use Greenseed? And uh, I mean, I said, yeah. I mean, I said, but as long as I, I can really see what you're going to do and how you're going to really do it. Because if you're going to tell me that you're going to spend a million dollars saving polar bears, right? But then market it for $20 million, spend $20 million marketing the fact that you spent a million dollars saving polar bears like Coca-Cola did. I'm using these numbers out of my ass, but it's something similar to that, Okay then I don't really believe you, right? Then I understand that what you're doing is trying to change public perception. I understand that that is important. I understand that you also gave the million dollars to polar bears, which wouldn't have been given otherwise. But come on, come on. You know what I mean? Like there's some version of like, I have to, you know, they're, they're, you do have to kind of keep corporations real to some degree. And, and I think that makes sense. It depends on who they are and and what their track record is. And the idea is that if people are progressing in any way, shape or form, we should always applaud people because everyone is at a different stage of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody who's living in America, who's probably living a much less sustainable lifestyle than, I don't know, somebody living in uh, even rural Africa, okay, uh, in many ways, believe it or not, um, we have to applaud the fact that if we, somebody cuts out a little bit of meat out of their diet or somebody starts composting, like that is a, that's a step. And through those those little applauses that we have, and even the applauses that people have given to, to organizations like Valhalla, that actually encourages to, us to keep going forward. You know, if we put something out there and everyone just criticized us and hated us and said, that's not fully sustainable, and it's like, well, okay, cool, we're trying to get there. Like, you know, we don't have the milling factory to cut down the trees and make all the all our, our two-by-fours ourselves just yet. We're getting there, you know what I mean? Like, let's, like, let's take the time to to build reputation, to build alliances, to talk to people like, you know, this is this is brand new for certain individuals uh, and therefore for certain companies. So anyway, let me let you continue on that. Uh, on that. I, what you said is exactly right. And it's like, it can't be about being right. It has to be about moving forward. Mm-hmm. And if, if people have to be perfect to get to get applause or to get encouragement, then I mean I'm not even I don't even deserve encouragement I'm not perfect of course and, it's, and so it's it's all about keeping it in context and saying it's I'm not applauding you because you're perfect I'm applauding you because I want you to do more <laughs> and that's that's the reason I'm behaving the way I am and a lot of people struggle with that I think at first because you know it is an idealist thing like you want to have really high standards and you want to apply them equally and fairly mm-hmm. to everyone. But it's not, it's kind of like, it's not fair to apply jogging standards to everybody because some people are babies and they can't even crawl yet. So, like, 
because they're a baby and they're learning to crawl, you applaud when they crawl. And when they start walking, you applaud when they walk and then they jog. But it's the same thing with an individual as it is a company. If you look at it in context of they've never done anything remotely sustainable in their life and now they're trying something for the first time, probably against their own better judgment, and they're like, this is probably going to fail, but I'm going to give it a shot. And they do it. It's like, good for you. Like, awesome. Like, mm-hmm. what, what can I help with next? Like, do you want to try something else? But if and in get, your in your opinion, have most people who have taken that step been happy with it for the most part? I mean, you consult with numerous organizations. For the most part, when you're giving this consulting, you're, you're suggesting steps. And I know you get blowback, right? You get some, some resistance. Um, but when they make that step, for the most part, do you think that most people or more organizations, sorry, uh, feel like they're going in the right direction? Yes. If they get good advice, <laughs> there are some people who take um, just the advice that's given. When I say they're getting an onslaught of um, people telling them and organizations telling them what they should and shouldn't do, some companies react to that quickly and just try to like put out a fire and say, oh, yeah, well, guess what? We're going to sign up for this new target or this new goal. And that might that issue might have nothing to do with who they are as a company. Mm. It might be, you know, Coca-Cola, water is a huge issue, very huge. Uh, but definitely. If, you, if you go talk to some some local Des Moines company who doesn't use water in any process whatsoever, they just have a bathroom, and you tell them they should really go out on a limb trying to commit to no water use or something, I mean, they might sign up for it, but it's really not, that relevant and it's probably not in the top three most important things they should really be working on but the company does the company doesn't know that so what I do is I help come in we do a lot of interviews and um, stakeholder facilitated meetings and we figure out okay as a as a company and who, who your partners are and what the public says let's pick the top three to five things that you actually really can move the needle on and just realize that you can't fix you know, as one company, you can't fix all the world's problems, but you can be really honest and say these are our top three to five issues. Mm. Now we're gonna we're gonna start measuring those. We're gonna start reporting on them, and we're gonna start sh- sharing this information with our people and looking for opportunities to do better. Ah, keyword there. And if you look at that, people start saying like, "Yeah, we really believe in measuring things. We didn't realize we weren't." You know, we figure we're a great business. We've been measuring all the right things, but really just been measuring all the dollars and not the the units of consumption. Um, and if you go about it in that way, I've never seen someone um, regret it because even if they did go take on a project and fail, they did it intentionally and with some forethought and they learned something. They're like, wow, we assumed this was going to happen. And we didn't even take into consideration like X, Y, and Z. So then the whole company just got smarter. And then they kind of shift a little bit, but they don't turn around and start walking backwards. Mm-hmm. They just they tweak the plan and they move forward. And if you do it that way, as a you know, that's what a consultant would do, is you create your relevant areas, you measure them, and then you report on them, and then come project ideas. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm guilty of this too. Someone comes to me and says, this is a really cool project, or we want Zipcar because Zipcar sounds awesome, and I heard about Zipcar on the news. And then you just start trying to ram Zipcar down everybody's throat, but you haven't done the background research to see if, if another car sharing program would work better for your city, 
or if car sharing is even that effective, maybe you need more bike lanes. And it's it's easy to jump to the programs or to the projects because they're sexy. Yes. And I kind of like the boring, logistical, methodical work of facilitating conversations and getting people to just come to agreement on what do we care about, how do we measure it, and now let's come to the sexy projects later. Mm. Uh, I find and that, big- see, and, and it, we need people like you. We need people like you to do that because for me, I am like the exact opposite of that. Um, and, and not in a, in, a, in a bad way. I think it just in a, in a just that's who I, I'm a different person than that. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I believe in that, though. I fully believe in what you're doing and I fully understand and understand that piece. I'm more of like the, I'm like the, like, I guess I'm like a, if I was a consultant, which I, which I am, um, in, in some respects, I would, um, I'm like the kind of guy who is just going to like, I'm going to like flick on all the light bulbs in your mind. And then I'm going to like leave you with the, the right team to do the, the actual work. Like that's the kind of guy that I am. You know what I mean? I'm the kind of guy who walks in and it's, you know, even in your own life, in everything that you do, um, whether it be like waking up and brushing your teeth, things that you do like monot- like just like, like clockwork, right? We forget about the inefficiencies of what we do consistently, right? Like, um, I don't know, just anything, just anything we're doing. There's all kinds of little processes and things that we are just not doing as efficiently as we should be, which in some respects in larger cases when you're a giant corporation could lead to massive inefficiencies. And I'm not even just talking about ecological inefficiencies and ecological kind of problems, but even just money-based inefficiencies. Like there's so many people who run factories of some kind and they spend so little time actually going down into the factory and just taking, putting on like a different pair of lenses on, like take off the boss lenses and the, and the dollar lens for a second and just put on either the eco lens or even just the efficiency lens of like, what are we doing here that's, that's right and what's going on? And just look and be present without talking, looking and just watch your, your employees go and you know, the one employee standing at the machine, but he constantly is going from one machine to the next machine to the next machine to the next machine. And if all you did is put those two machines closer, he would save 10 times the amount of time or he would save like, you know, 20 minutes out of an hour and he, and you would, he, he would be, tw- you know, a third more productive, let's say 33% more productive. That's huge, right? And we, we think about those money-based ones, but the same can also apply in general to inputs, right? What if I used an eco-sourced material or something that was much more available to me than rather than sourced from China, something that was maybe down the street, um, maybe that will make my business more efficient. Even though it seems like the cost up front might be higher, maybe in the process, I will actually come out with something that's cheaper in the end or something, okay? And we forget to do that. And I forget to do random stupid little things even in my own routine that I ever, every once in a while, I have to get back to the drawing board and have that meeting and have that meeting with myself or check in with myself or my own because I'm like a, an entrepreneur, a solo entrepreneur in many, in many respects in my life. Um, or in, when I'm with a group, I have to look at the infrastructure of the group and say, hey, what systems are we not operating in that we should be? And what systems are we currently operating that aren't running at full capacity? And it mm-hmm. seems like that's part of what you're doing in it. Um, I, it's exciting. But, it, but yeah, I mean, I think your job and that element of it is super necessary. And I like what you said is like some people, not everyone should do my job. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it, it, it's because I have a brain that is 
works a certain way. I'm better suited to do certain things. And other people are way better at other things than I am. And I think, you know, people like you who are like, turn on all the light switches, you don't need to go do the research. You can go read a book, talk to someone who like is an expert. You can like absorb all that information from other places. Yeah. You don't want to go spend your time doing methodical, boring, possibly incredibly boring things. Um, and I have kind of a balance. I have to go back and forth. I have to do community work, mm-hmm. but I also like like the structured stuff. And I get, um, I mean, I get a lot of people saying, you know, I'm not cut out for that. I'm like, I'm not asking you to do that. Like, of course, yeah. All you have to do is know, you know. I guess, like, I'll kind of jump to the very beginning section of the book where I talk about kind of like my path. Mm-hmm. And the only place I don't want people to be really is like in this what I call the emotional like stage one, where you're you're really just kind of like scared and afraid to say what you think. And I call that um, like the polar bear, mm. like you're like a threatened species. When I give it the the metaphor, yeah. I'm like, don't, don't be threatened, and realize that like the next stage is usually I call like a killer bee, where you're an invasive species. Like you you're kind of you're just out there being upset and voicing how you feel, no matter what, all the time. Yeah, and that can be really effective, and especially like there are greenwashing things, and there are things that need to have like quick responses and communities stand up for what they what, what they need against a big corporation or against a government that's going to try to do something, you need an aggressive response. Mm-hmm. You, usually, that I tell people, if you look at after the fact, those killer bee swarms were led by someone who was very methodical and planned out. Like They get someone <laughs> to organize them, and that's critical because you can't just be angry yeah. You have to be purposeful and get a good strategy and then get a ton of people behind it. And there's plenty of people who get angry and don't actually accomplish anything um, or proud. Like pride is kind of another one that's on the cusp of being positive, but it still it blinds us sometimes from actually doing what, yeah. accomplishing what we want to accomplish. And then the last one, what I call it is like a sea otter. And it's a keystone, the kind of, boring some people like them they think they're playful they're cute but they don't get a lot of attention but they're they're responsible for just methodically like sea otters go pick a sea urchin off the ground they chew it up and they go on to the next one and they just methodically go around and they eat sea urchins Mm -hmm. and sea urchins just decimate the root systems of the kelp forest Mm -hmm. and so if the sea otter wasn't there methodically going through cleaning up you know eating you know passing the sea urchin at a time yeah then the entire ecosystem would just literally wash away and it would dissolve. And so you need both. And I think it's a happier place to be if you can say, okay, I'm angry, I want to be a killer bee, and I want to go stop a lot of bad things from happening, is to play around in that first chapter or the first part of the book with the sea otter chapter and just think about keystone. Like what are the characteristics of someone who's a keystone environmentalist or a keystone advocate Mm -hmm. because it's going to help you be happier healthier and more productive even if you turn around and go back to the aggressive like stand up and fight for for certain initiatives every initiative like that needs a sea otter like they need someone who's going to organize the group 
get really clear on the message and then just get a shitload of people behind it. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been a part of plenty of angry mobs that didn't <laughs> Did not accomplish anything. <laughs> yeah, I fully agree. That's that's to me also where, you know, um, myself and Lawrence, one of the Valor members, we went to uh, Occupy Wall Street together. We, we drove down from Montreal to New York um, and we met at Occupy Montreal. We, we knew each other beforehand, but anyway, long story. Um, but I agree that we even said it, we were very explicit when we even started Valhalla that we are not a protest, we are a solution. We are focused on solutions and on being that sea otter and on tackling the problem one tree or one small issue at a time and one little piece at a time is going to change the rest of the ecosystem because if if I'm just that sea otter, I can maintain and I can figure out a way to save the entire the entire system. Now, there's not to say that there's not some big bad ship that's going to come and destroy all sea otters or whatever it's possible but it's not through anger or being a killer bee that we're going to create more bees you know what i mean or more more like not even more bees but more sea otters or more and more of all of them really i think we need all of them i think they're all important yeah um and i think and i think about it and i, and I can't stop thinking i'm sure you, you saw the headline uh, last night or today or whatever about how china and the u.s uh, release this new kind of plan by 2025 in the U.S.'s case, kind of in 2030 in China's case, of like how they're going to reduce their carbon emissions, right? And how they're going to combat global warming and stuff. And I can't help but feel like they're just doing this thing for the photo op and it's just Obama and the guy and, and they're standing there and they're like looking at the camera and I know they're doing it for a photo op, but that's part of what the game is in making some of this happen, right? They... Part of it is political moves, and they use these political moves, which is kind of greenwashing because, look, all they did was talk about it. It is greenwashing. They didn't do shit, okay? But they're starting to set up this system of actually potentially doing it. And a couple of years ago, China wanted nothing to do with climate change and, and any of this stuff. And they were like, you know what? Fuck you guys. You guys are the ones that polluted our planet in the first place. We should get the right to pollute this planet now, too. And now, I, I've been to China, okay? I went in 2010. The skies are gray. The rivers are green in many scenarios. Don't get me wrong. China has many, many beautiful places um, and, and, and tons of beautiful scenery and stuff. But there was a serious pollution problem, like fucking serious. And I don't care who you are, what you think about whether or not it's your time to pollute. When you go outside and you look and you're breathing that air too, you're asking yourself, oh, fuck, what the fuck are we going to do here? Okay. And so people are taking a step in the right direction. And I'm assuming that when you look at that, you also feel the same way. That you don't know, it's like, it's hard to tell what, they're, what to feel like. And, it, and it, yes, I think it, it's healthy to say that there's a dose of skepticism in anything that the politician is going to say, specifically related to the environment. But the only way that we can do and play a role as being a part of that is to keep them accountable to it. And we could do our part in actually change and like reaching those emissions by again taking that personal responsibility of doing it and being the role that we are within that system. Whether you're the killer bee, which I still think is necessary, not what I would pre- preach, but still necessary, um, or whether you're the sea otter or anything in between. Uh, some of the roles, including yours, like the sea otter, create the real ecosystem for everyone else they're 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 kind of kind of like catalyst positions right where you guys are are laying the infrastructure for what can then be built upon right it's the Mm -hmm. keystone or the foundation if you will of 
what now can become the the growing platform of, of sustainability conscious for any corporation or any individual or whatever it is. Yeah, and I I like that. It's a good fit for me. It's going back to the Garden for Every School program. We're really creating a backbone, like an infrastructure. We're only going to fund 87 gardens, but I envision that you know thousands of school gardens are going to start just because we're able to produce something that other people can then use and as a platform. And so it's really, I like what you said, infrastructure. It's like creating, facilitating a, a culture or facilitating a, you know, an environment where people can step up and do more things. I mean, the reason I like the book, I mean, there's a lot of sustainability books out there and I was like, a lot of them are the same. They're all good. Um, but I didn't see anybody writing about how, emotional it is to like actually have to do the stuff on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. and I got I got friends who I love to death and they're quitting because they're just frustrated and they like they're like I'm gonna go get my real estate license because this is you know I'm gonna shit. have an aneurysm yeah. and it's it's sad for me to see that and so I just thought well a book might make a difference like if I could tell people the things that have made a difference in my life and then back it up with research and like show them other stories of other people like them and here's you know if you're working on something you're frustrated think about this like this is going to help you change your approach change the way you look at it change the way you feel about how you're you know working on the sustainability issue of your choice um you know that book itself you know in in technical terms it's worse for the environment i killed trees to make a book Mm. but i believe that if a book can go change people's minds and suddenly you feel unstuck and whatever whatever it is you care about, whether it's water or indentured servitude or global warming or social issues in your community, if you care about something and you're burning out, I'm sad. Like, I want people who care and who are advocates for anything to keep advocating for it and to be successful. And I want to help those people, like, overcome whatever barriers are there for them. Mm. And so that's, I mean... That's just one thing that I feel like, great, that'll have a ripple effect. Now I'll go do something else, have another ripple effect. And I like stuff like that. And people in their communities, I mean, you asked how I felt about China. I give them the benefit of the doubt. (laughs) I think policy is very critical. I hate working in policy because in my mind, four years from now, that policy could easily change and go away. So I... I want to like take that opportunity if that Chinese agreement gives people hope keep holding us to the fire like keep doing more in your community like use it as a as a spark to get something started in your community that you can actually see and touch because it's it's really hard for somebody um, to like create a, a great program and the community starts using it and to not know that you made a difference yeah but if if the it's, policy, it's, it's almost nice to see it. I think you made a good point, which is part of why um, many eco. Uh, sorry to cut you off there, so, um, but part of why yeah. many eco movements and things have had a hard time. Right, they're intentional communities, and the problem is that they never had this physical manifestation of the progress of what they're doing. And things like Occupy and whatnot. It's like, did it work? Did it not work? Well, look, I can tell you that it, gr- it brought together a whole bunch of people and it created a whole bunch of consciousness of, wait a second, there's a lot of fucking people that believe what I believe and I thought I was alone, okay? And I can see the, the numbers on Alex Jones's channel or whatever. That's one thing, but I can't, I don't know who they are and I haven't seen them. It's a different story. 
And so it physicalized, it created a physical space, even temporarily, just for that to happen. Now, did it fail or work? That's uh, to be determined. I think the jury's, to be honest, still on, out on that. But the the truth is that if, like you said, if we can do tangible, physical things that we can see the the actual change manifest itself, even this, in the smallest of ways, that can be symbolic enough that it kind of ripples into changing the culture, changing the tides, uh, and and providing that hope that we need to make that change. Because we have two options here. We're in a great depression of the of the environmental like portion of of humanity of humanity and our planet and in some ways. Okay. We're in a great period of, of also abundance in many ways too, and it's not to all be depressing here. But we have a huge problem and we can either be depressed about it and stay depressed about it, or we can be hopeful about it and and make that change happen. And unfortunately politicians, like you said, um, can bastardize it and, and we've got to take it with skepticism because we've all heard the hope and change campaigns before um, but we need to see it and I think as much as I hate to side with any politician I do think Obama's trying in, in yeah. the weird way I think he's trying <laughs> I, I will not fault the, I think he's trying I tend to just stay out of politics I liked him I voted for Obama I'm not afraid to say it um, I was not excited about the other alternatives and, I, and I, I, I was excited about Ron Paul though I'll tell you that much <laughs> and so for me I mean I'll show my I'll show my nerd side is like V for Vendetta one of my favorite movies mm. of all time you know, I don't advocate blowing up buildings, but he he gives you a little spiel, and, and he's like, you know, the building is a symbol, and symbols are given meaning by people, and if enough people believe in it, then it you, know, you can change the world by blowing up a building. And I would flip it around and say, anything physical become can become a symbol, like a garden in your community be, can become a symbol of prosperous and like people who care and pride. Um, a new car sharing program can become a symbol that something's shifting and you need physical tangible things that people attribute meaning to and that meaning is that our community is changing like things are getting better we care about these things we're this kind of a community and without those physical real things in your community there it like without those symbols and that meaning with enough people believing in them you can't change a neighborhood and if you mm -hmm. can't change a neighborhood you can't change a city and if you can't change a city you can't change the country and if you can't change a country you can't change the world so if Absolutely. you start start with your neighborhood and if that's too much start with your house but but I encourage everybody to work their way up like get good at the home stuff then start working at the neighborhood association level mm -hmm. if, mm -hmm. if you're successful there go do some city-wide city council something at the city if you're successful there Shit, try it at the state level. Keep because you Just need like a corporation. Start small, make your way. Yeah. Hmm. Start so your department. I have this. I have this. Yeah, absolutely. I have this theory, and I want to say it right before I'm going to let you tell people where they can go and download the book or where they can learn more about you and what you're doing and how they can follow. Uh, and I'm going to put all these links in the description and stuff, of course. Um, but the idea is, I've always thought about you know when i thought about occupy and stuff i thought about people are really trying to wage war against things like wall street or, or against corruption or against all of these things and i always thought what is the first way of waging war 
And most people's answer to that is pick up a gun and go and fight it, right? And really, although that kind of works, I guess, not really. I don't think it's ever really worked. The real way that they start a war, however, is actually through propaganda, right? It's by painting the person as a symbol of the enemy, right? Terrorist! We're going to go to terrorists and weapons of mass destruction and terrorists, terrorists, and then we fight the war on terror. That's how the war on terror develops. The same can also apply on the positive side of things, which is change, hope, e what I call eco-propaganda in a sense. We can create the eco-propaganda that we see when we're driving down on the street on our, on our, on our, you know, on our own you know, crescent or on our own neighborhoods, or we can create that eco-propaganda on a bigger and bigger, bigger level. You can create that eco-propaganda via books or whatever it is. But if people start seeing that the culture of what is coming out and what is mattering to people, and what people are discussing and talking about is this eco-propaganda in a sense, then that eco-propaganda becomes the real culture of, and is no longer propaganda. It becomes the actual, the, the actual zeitgeist of, that, of the times, right? Mm -hmm. It becomes the actual culture of the time. And so the idea is that even the smallest thing, if you're listening, even the smallest thing that you're going to do is going to change other people. And if it only mm -hmm. changes one other person, that person will change it. One other person and another person and another person. And so I, I applaud you for writing that book, uh, for doing the job like the sea otter would. Um, and I think there's tons of great and valuable information. And I want you to tell people where they can get that book, where they can follow. And uh, I, we're going to kind of have to end it there. We're getting get into the hour mark. I appreciate it. I will jump right to it. It's on Amazon. If you uh, search it, it's stress-free sustainability. Um, it isn't free anymore. It was free oh. for a little bit when it launched, but it's still incredibly inexpensive at three ninety nine. And um, when it, it'll be uh, a physical book soon, um, but I say that soon in my mind, it's probably still like three or four months. Um, but if you just Google that, you'll find it. For when it first came out, it was really big. It was at the top of the charts, and then I had to do about three trainings in a row, and I've done zero work to market it. But um, there's some really good feedback on it. I'm really happy. It's got a lot of personal stories in it. It's not like any other sustainability book that you'll read, I don't think, because one, it's my story, and nobody else has it. Um, but you can also go to my website, uh, eco-fluence.com, um, like eco and influence combined. And I blog and I write and talk about um, this, like how to communicate effectively, how to deal with your own like barriers and emotions that you're going to come up with as an advocate. And I take a pretty balanced approach to things and just saying like, hey, whether you believe in it or don't believe in it, what's going to be the effective way to do something about it, not just, just believe in it or not believe in it. Mm. I'm, a, I'm not an activist as much as I am an actionist. Mm. I want to taking like action that. in their own community and just making things happen. Um, and Absolutely. sometimes I think we get caught up in, Mark, I really want you to believe what I believe. But, <laughs> but at the end of the day, if you don't, and you're still doing awesome shit with your life, well, then I'm happy. Like yeah. I'm less worried about what you believe, and I'm more worried about what you're doing and what you care about. And like Valhalla is a great example of that. I think I think that's exactly the route that Valhalla kind of started to take as well, and and that's I think why we're seeing some success is um, we could have had success on a political stance too, had we been very like this way or that way. And I think anybody who's on the extremes can have some success, but I think we're going to actually have measurable 
actionable success in the sense that look we're fucking ignoring the politics for the most part okay it's not to say that i don't listen to whether china and u.s made a deal or whatever i i mean i'm hearing it but i'm gonna just be there saying how are they gonna do it and i want to innovate on how they're gonna do it i want to create the systems that they're gonna need to do that things like green seed or you know the books like you you've created or what are the things that we can do what are the conversations we can get going and then even the people People want to know other people. Like, there's so many people. When I first started, I didn't know anybody in the eco world at all. And then now here I am meeting them over and over and over again. And I'm trying to get them as guests on the podcast and stuff, right? So people need to know about the other people. And that's kind of how we create this network. And if we create this network, it's a really big support system. It's a really big keystone, if you will, uh, to building it up and making it happen. So um, to all the listeners who are out there, go download the book. It's not free. Sorry, it was my mistake. It is cheap, though, and it's totally worth it. Come on, guys. Four bucks, and you guys can get a whole dose of awesome information in your hands or in your minds, really. Um, and for those of you listening, if you even if you don't want to buy the book or even if you just appreciated this conversation that we had, you can subscribe, like, comment, share, click. Every time you click, you help an organization. Basically, you're voting for that kind of content because every time we see a click and a share and a like and whatever it is we get like kind of a little boost and like oh okay yeah let's keep doing it let's keep let's keep churning down this path so thank you very much guys for all the people who are listening eco-fluence.com stress-free sustainability on amazon or on google or wherever it is uh, or on facebook even i think and you'll you'll find it okay it's google adam hames worst case and all the links are in the description below as well Please go support Adam. Thank you very much, Adam, for uh, for being a guest and for doing the work that you do as a sea author. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And don't forget to rate and leave a comment. Until next time. Be the hero you've always dreamed of.